Welcome to Logical, the UE's first and still the only regular legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott. As always, here's our expert, the managing partner of the Dubai-based legal firm, HPL Yamalava and Plethka here in Dubai. Ludmilla Yamalava, nice to see you. Great to see you too, Tim, as always. Now, this is a special episode of Logical, and we're also very pleased to welcome a special guest. Now, this is a recent mother of her of a baby boy who's just turned a year old who was born in Dubai. Mother and baby are both full-time residents of the UAE. Now, I should say before we start, in the interests of uh, protecting the privacy of both mother and child, we've changed their names. And it's a fascinating story uh, and a story in significant part written by Ludmilla's team. It's a real-life case in which Ludmilla and her team represented and fought for using creative, persuasive and persistent techniques and challenged various UAE authorities on the application of the country's, uh, as we've talked many times about Ludmilla, rapidly evolving and sometimes fundamentally novel laws. Now, I'm going to turn to you. What are we talking about today? Yes, so it's a very interesting case uh, regarding regarding birth certificates and issuance of the birth certificates in Dubai for babies with unknown fathers in particular. Uh, so we'll today we'll with our special guest we'll discuss a real life case involving a mother in Dubai who gave birth to a baby who had been conceived through IVF and the challenges uh, she experienced in issuance of the birth certificate for her baby. In discussing her her case, we will naturally go over the legal framework uh, for issuance of birth certificates in the UAE and also analyze the um, application of those laws as compared uh, to the actual process, uh, which uh, in this particular case, uh, the mother went through. Uh, this is a case um, which is both legally interesting and emotionally rather heart-wrenching. Mm. Uh, and a case uh, of a baby who uh, was first born and for quite some time was without a birth certificate. And then a baby who was named by someone other than his mother. Uh, so, um, and to hear the full story and the ultimate results, listen to the rest of this discussion. Um, so it's a bit of a cliffhanger. It really is. Um, let's meet mum. So, Lindsay, nice to meet you. Hi, Tim. Nice to meet you too. Good to have you here. Now, to the extent that you feel comfortable, share uh, a little bit of your story. Tell us about yourself, where you're from, where you live, what you do, shoe size, and all, all the important <laughs> stuff that we need to know. But also in that, how did you find Ludmilla and her firm, and why did you reach out to them uh, to begin with okay sure um so i've been i'm from the uk mm -hmm. and i've actually been living in dubai for over 12 years now um i reached out to Ludmilla. actually when i decided to um to go ahead with with trying for a baby via ivf i the laws were very different then uh, it was a couple of years ago and i and they were changing as as i became pregnant so I reached out to Ludmilla and the team to, as a consultation really, to understand what my options were to decide whether I needed to go back home to the UK to give birth or whether I could stay here. Um, so I did do some research uh, around, um, you know, my options. I, I spoke to Ludmilla and the team and I listened to the podcast. Um Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, you're a resident here in Dubai. You've lived here for, what, 12 years. You work in the corporate world in Dubai. Yes, you're a professional yeah. working mum, uh, as it were. 
And you're not, and you're you're not married because that's that's the key. You're not married, and you're a non-Muslim, which yes, for purposes of the discussion yeah. and and the progress of your life story, uh, th- those factors are fairly relevant, uh, and uh, we will soon find out why. Uh, so, and you decided to have a baby on your own, uh, um, obviously while living in the UAE, which was for many years actually not possible. Uh, for uh, a single mother to have a baby and and for that baby to be born here. So uh, when do you remember exactly around what time you decided you start thinking about the idea of of being a single mom? Uh, Just because in terms of the timeline, the historical timeline and how the laws evolved, it would be interesting. Um, So it was it was just after COVID. Well, it was during COVID that I actually started the process. So it was uh, early 2021 where I started looking into into my options I, I started by freezing my eggs and then um, decided to go ahead with with trying uh, for a baby on my own um, I I did actually because at that time it was uh, as far as I was aware it was illegal to um, to be pregnant uh, in the UAE or to give birth in the UAE uh, unmarried I actually did the IVF uh, in Greece and I you know used a, a I had an anonymous donor um, via a bank, a sperm bank um, from Denmark. Uh, so the process was all outside of UAE, and um, I, you know, was planning to remain in the UAE for as much as my pregnancy as I could, um, while I worked out what my options were about about giving where I could give birth. And uh, when did you finally get pregnant, and oh, when was the baby yeah. supposed to arrive? So I, w- I did my uh, successful round in. 2022 mid 2022 so and um, my son was due um, February uh, last year February 2023 okay well congratulations because he's now a year old yes, and he's walking. already yes okay so life's Everywhere. changed for you forever <laughs> I know now he's, he's very much mobile yes <laughs> don't I know it so let's just jump back ever so slightly where did you want to give birth uh, which country and where did you end up giving birth I, I really wanted to stay here um, because, you know, I've been living here a long time. I'm everything, you know, this is my home. Um, I, from a, even from a convenience factor, if I'd have needed to, to leave the country to give birth, I'd have had to have left at least a month earlier. Um, I wanted to work as much as possible up until my due date. I would have had to come back with a, a young baby. Um, I've been here a long time. I've got pets here. What would I have done with my pets? What yeah. I needed to move house right before I gave birth. It, you know, all those, it was more convenient for me to be able to stay here and to have a newborn baby in my own home rather than to have to go somewhere else. And so at that time, what did you know about the um, the UAE laws uh, in terms of your ability or inability, uh, for that matter, to have a baby on your own? And and how did you learn about what the legal framework was at play at the time? Yeah. So, as I mentioned, when I first started the process, I was thinking, I thought I would need to go home. And I was going to cross that path when it came to it. By the time I actually got pregnant, I had heard um, via various like Facebook groups or, you know, conversations I'd seen that the laws had changed and it was now possible to give birth unmarried Um, so I was aware of that I just wasn't as sure about the step of being single you know I knew okay if I'd if I'd had a partner and been unmarried it would be possible but the next step about 
is it possible being unmarried and, and with no father? So that was when I, I reached out um, to yourself. And how did you find us? Um, I you found recall? you via the podcast. I'm just trying to remember the how I actually... The same podcast that we're recording pod- here Exactly. Today. I love this podcast. I listen to a number of the episodes. So you have some episodes specifically about uh, getting the birth certificate. And you did have... Um, uh, you do have a, an episode about getting the birth certificate as a single mother. So that was what made me... You know, I knew you had the experience in that area reach out to you. Um, Coming across the podcast, I believe, was via uh, a friend of mine who was also um, a single mother who gave birth via IVF a few years ago. Um, but she gave birth outside of the UAE. What was your company like? You, you, you're obviously uh, employed here. You've worked here for some time. W- were they supportive? Um, they, As far as I'm aware, they... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming some of them knew, but I didn't bring it to their attention. Right. Um, I... Ju- you know, I didn't tell them about the pregnancy until quite later on, and I just told them I was pregnant without giving them the the circumstances. So I okay. didn't I didn't go into the actual details of. of oh, but there's, there's no necessity that you, that you should. I mean, no. it's it's just part of life. It's just an interesting point to make. What about health insurance? But on that point about my company, I mean, it is uh, I do work for a global um, company with American headquarters, so I did I didn't oh, okay. think it would be an issue. Okay, and health insurance was fine in your... Yeah, I have very good international health insurance, so I was covered during my pregnancy um, with with my medical cover. But in that regard, you were quite lucky, and this is why we ask these questions, because in a lot of people's cases, and we have had a number of women in very much similar situations as you who have reached out to us, and there are some of their um, perhaps biggest concerns at the um, at the kind of at the early stages of their pregnancy is that what will the companies think? What would their employers think? Will they fire them? Is that, well, even though I think by now most people know that the laws have changed, but do companies know that, or do companies take it uh, take it kind of, sort of have they adopted or adapted their mindset about this being an ordinary matter? and not a criminal as it used to be. And so for a lot of um, a lot of clients that, who approach us, that's one of their biggest factors is the companies actually, their employers, either threaten to terminate them or terminate them uh, or question them or challenge them. And that's one part of uh, the equation. And, and the related part is insurance because as we, those of us who live in the UAE know that in most people's cases, it's the company or employer that also sponsors the health insurance. And uh, and we've heard from both angles that it's the company that says, oh, no, 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 your insurance will not cover you in these sort of circumstances because you are not married. And similarly, we also heard people's concerns that the insurance companies are saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to cover you because you're not married. And we, in fact, have researched this quite um, extensively on both fronts from the legal standpoint and from contractual standpoint. So from a legal standpoint, there's nothing in the law uh, being the, um, the insurance law or any other relevant laws for obvious reasons that state that in order for you to benefit from your health insurance coverage, you need to be married. There's nothing in the law. And that's contrary to many of the representations we hear from employees and companies, representatives and, and insurance companies, representatives as well. 
So that's on the law side of things, but also on the contractual side of things in terms of your health insurance coverage itself, because it's a contract. We have yet to see a single contract that actually makes marriage and marriage certificate a requirement for a mother to benefit from health insurance. And yet that topic keeps coming up and people continuously to being told that they will not be covered. Have you heard anything like this from... Yeah, women? that's it's actually really interesting hearing you say that because I have met a number of other women in the same um, situation as myself who have... Um, who you mentioned earlier, I was lucky, who, who haven't been as lucky as me. And um, I can't comment on their on their work situations. Um, none of them have mentioned that their work had any problem with it. Um, but I do know that they weren't covered by their health insurance and they have had to pay for um, their their medical, you know, their x-rays and, and all their, and the birth themselves. And I'll tell you from a legal and practical standpoint, my... Uh, my speculation is that they were not covered, not because they were actually not covered, but because insurance companies took that stance, we're not covering you. But it had they pressed uh, that in most cases, if they had um, put the insurance companies to a task in terms of proving their uh, case, they would have realized that there was nothing that prevented insurance companies from covering them. And in fact, they would have been covered. So it's a little bit more of a perhaps a theoretical point, but to the point when you're saying they're not covered, it's not because the law says so or because the contracts provided for lack of coverage but rather because that's unfortunately insurance companies mindset to this day that yeah. somehow this marriage certificate is the requirement and after uh, i heard everybody else's experience i actually thought oh, oh i'm lucky and maybe my insurance company didn't realize i wasn't married and i got got away with it you know <laughs> um so that's interesting yeah it's a good thing to point that out though i think that's that's a really important thing to say um Lindsay, let's talk about when you had your little boy. Um, I don't want all the detail, obviously, but I hope everything was... <laughs> I'm doing my man thing here, aren't I? Ooh, not too much. Um, I hope everything went smoothly. Uh, tell us about the, the hospital. There were no complications. Everything was fine? Uh, yeah, so Andrew actually came... Um, uh, unexpectedly early right. <laughs> so he uh, made a surprise appearance two weeks early uh, I delivered at Parkview um, okay. luckily I made it to Parkview because he as I said he was in a real hurry uh, it was a very short labor um, and I think I only gave birth in the hospital because I happened to be there for a, a checkup at, at the time anyway so <laughs> Yeah, interesting story. And <laughs> I'll, so, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, let's kind of start, perhaps go back a little bit in terms of uh, the hospital and how you chose the hospital. Did you ever experience any issues with the hospital itself in terms of requiring from you a copy of marriage certificate or questioning you about that? Or was it a fairly, by the time you delivered or you were preparing to deliver, it was a fairly smooth process and the hospital did not really, for the purposes of the hospital, it didn't really matter whether you had a marriage certificate or not. And therefore, you would have had a file by that time that you showed up. You would have had a registered file uh, and uh, perhaps all the paperwork already submitted. Yeah, actually, I do remember that when I spoke with you um, before, that was one of the things you'd advised that if you are planning to give birth here, then maybe speak to the hospital before you give birth, um, give them the IVF documentation make them aware of the situation I remember with my doctor um, she wasn't aware of anybody else giving birth in my situation here so she was like let me ask around but she really didn't want me to raise uh, to the hospital that it was an IVF pregnancy because she said sometimes some insurance don't cover birth when it's an IVF pregnancy so 
I we didn't actually give the hospital any. We didn't tell them in beforehand. Okay, but the fact that they had a file on you and uh, ultimately admitted you. Uh, it meant that for their purposes, they felt that the paperwork had been fulfilled. Okay. But previously, so, but yeah. previously, in order for that paperwork to, to have been fulfilled, you would have needed to have a copy of your birth certificate or, or your marriage certificate as part of the file. So uh, okay, because I, I was visiting the doctor. I know some people have their doctors in the hospital. Mine was at a separate clinic. Um, so, yeah, I'm assuming she booked me in with my file, which would have had, uh, you know, didn't have a father's name and any any marriage certificate i was never asked for that no and on that on that point as well as you prior to the delivery as you were being seen by your obgyn had anybody asked you these questions did you ever feel uncomfortable about being seen uh without a husband by your side <laughs> or no i really didn't i i i felt completely comfortable um i felt able to um you know I don't know if confide's the right word, but I, you know, to be very honest with my doctor about the situation, um, I didn't feel like I was going to get, there would be any repercussions of, of telling anybody. Um, but nobody asked apart f- after that. It was never uh, brought up as, you know, I was never asked for the marriage certificate or any further information. Okay, so now you're in the hospital. So I yeah. delivered two kids in, in the <laughs> UAE too, so I should speak a little bit from personal experience. And then that point, were you given any paperwork you needed to fill out that you remember clearly I, as, a, as a sort of I, new mother at that point in time? I think you remember some things and other things yeah, less yeah. so. And I, I remember being very aware that I needed a birth notification before I let, you know, I, that was essential for me to be able to get the birth certificate was that I was going to need the birth notification um, and that I needed a typed version. I remember seeing that. I think that was mentioned in your podcast as well. So I actually um, was, what's the word? Is it dispatched? I was um, from le- allowed to leave the hospital on the Sunday and there was just no, there was no one around. There was no uh, admin staff around. So I ha- actually had to leave the hospital without anything. And they told me to come back for the birth notification. So I was a little bit worried at that stage, but I think I went back a, a couple of days later and they had um, three copies of the birth notification that I had to um, write my son's full name. So his first name, middle name and last name and, and sign. And I was able to take two copies. So I was I was relieved at that stage that I had that paperwork. And you perhaps you don't recall, but um, the form of this birth notification, is, and as you rightfully said, there is that's a step birth notification, a step before birth certificate. But that form, among other things, calls for input on, okay, the baby's name, the mother's full name, nationality of the mother, the father's full name, nationality of the father, and the nationality of the baby. Uh, and then also the names of the doctors and the nurses yeah. uh, and the date and the time when the baby was born. So that's sort of all the information goes into this birth notification. So from what you recall, what did you put in for the baby, for the father's, the section that called for the father's details and in terms of nationality? And how did you come up with the baby's name and what, what did what was it? Yeah, I I remember writing my son's full name and signing. I don't recall if I... I I feel like the the names are all ev- the rest of the form was already typed out so the father's name name was either blank or crosses or if it if it did need to be filled in I would have filled in my name and left the father's name blank um that's and and how did you name your child and what nationality did you give him okay so I named him Andrew James Johnson 
and he is British. Okay. And then, so you walked out of the hospital with nothing on you, which in of itself was very brave of you because uh, we've, we've seen many cases where people walk out of the hospital with nothing. And at that point, it's very difficult for them to, uh, to actually go back and, and get some sort of a document that ultimately will allow them to apply for the birth uh, certificate. So the fact that the hospital was already receptive to it, and as you said, perhaps even might have already uh, populated or blanked out the father's name, and that basically means that they must have reviewed the file and saw that you were giving birth with IVF and such. So I think that's compared to what, how, how, what, what we started when we started doing our first podcast on this topic. This is uh, quite a huge progress. It's huge distance in what, was it two and a half years or something like that since w- we right. kind of first covered this topic. Um, Lindsay, how was your stay at the hospital? No, Nobody asked you why there was no father, the, the checkout seems to me it was pretty smooth because you just left and then had to go back on the Monday morning kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Even, um, you know, at the time, as I mentioned, it was a it was a checkup that I went in for a kind of um, ad hoc checkup. Nobody asked me if, you know, my husband was on the way or anything. Nobody. um, It it was just a a non topic, to be honest. Um, Yeah, it it, my my stay. I was there for two nights. Uh, Everything went smoothly. And, yeah, there was no issues with me leaving apart from the fact I didn't have the paperwork at that time. Sure. I'm trying to sort of put myself in your your shoes in a way because I know I've had two children. Well, I've not had two children. My wife did the work. (laughs) She did the heavy lifting for sure. Um, But, you know, you're in having a baby. There's a certain stress and, I guess, relief that goes with that in a way as well. But also in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I have to get the birth notification and I have to go and do the birth certificate as well. I'm trying to sort of get a picture of how you, you felt. Honestly, I really didn't expect to have any problems with the birth certificate because at okay. that stage, you know, I had I had done my research. I had spoken to Ludmilla. I had seen that the laws had changed. Right. I did know, you know, it was legal to give birth unmarried. Um, you know, the 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 main thing was I wasn't expecting uh, Andrew to come along two weeks early. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was literally at the hospital with my phone and that was it. Uh, I didn't even have my car. It was in the garage. You know, so I, it was more of a... I wasn't expecting him, so it was more of how am I going to get my ba- me and my baby home and <laughs> you know, and name him. I, w- I was expecting him to be a girl. I hadn't got a, a baby boy name ready, so yeah. <laughs> oh, I did not know that yeah. bit. Had you not done the gender identification early on, or you were actually told that it was going to be a girl? Uh, no, I, I I was waiting for it. Oh, I wanted okay. a surprise, oh, a surprise. so oh, yeah, wow. I didn't know what I was having until so you had a girl name. Mm. And I was, yeah, I had a girl's name ready. You know, I only had nine months to come up with a name, but I hadn't got round to the boy's name part. <laughs> I always think you can only name a child when you've seen it. I, I, I kind of think you, you got to think, right, okay, you are a Andrew. You are a, I don't know, Dana. You, you're whatever. That That's my kind of thinking on it. Yeah, uh, I, did, I did have a list ready, but I remember right. just after birth, you're so... Uh, your hormones are all over the place, aren't you? I was very indecisive. It really, yeah. That, I, I guess when you said about how was I feeling, that was my main thing. What am I going to name? <laughs> I don't think my that's baby. unusual. You're not alone in that, <laughs> for sure. Um, so uh, you uh, give birth to Andrew. You kind of know that, you know your way around the process. You've had a chat with Ludmilla. Um, you have done some research. Uh, you expect 
you know, it's going to start, you know, you have to start with the bureaucracy. What did you do next? You then have to go to a typing centre to apply for the birth certificate, I guess. So I remember thinking I need to be very clear about the steps because once I've had my baby, you know, it's going to be harder for me to work this out. So I had written down all of the steps. It was very, very clear from the podcast of what I needed to do to to go and get the, the birth certificate myself. Um, I probably didn't write them clear enough because I actually went to um, the court first. But okay. I, I mean... Uh, Andrew was only he wasn't even three weeks old and I remember it was like I'd only left the house a couple of times before that so and it was the first time I'd left you know gone anywhere with him on my own so it was it felt like a big deal to get him in the car drive all the way over to the court and I went to the wrong court Um, so when I got to the court they sent me to a typing center Um, and then when I got to the typing center they sent me to the court uh, but the different courts so you know Andrew's in and out the car at this stage. So then driving over to to the, I can't even remember which court. Which court is it? The family court that I ended up at? Yes. The family court. Um, Then when I I arrived there, they tried to send me back to a typing centre. And by that point, I was, no, you know, I've been driving around for a few hours now with my son in and out the car and I need somebody to help me now. Because I'd also heard somebody else say, when you go to the court, uh, a, a previous, uh, sorry, not previous, another mum who'd, who'd uh, applied for her own birth certificate, she said, when you go to the court, they'll try and send you to the typing centre and just be very adamant. So, And I, just to give a little context to what you went through, it's fairly, it's quite different from the uh, context uh, for married parents or for married mothers because for those who actually have that birth certificate uh, the uh, whole process of the birth uh, birth certificate is basically ma- being managed through the hospital so there are, there's in fact a service or yeah there's an agency or a service that usually has uh, a fairly um, if not formal but well established relationship with the hospital so they'll just come to you and say here do you want us to apply for birth certificate for you you just fill out the p- paper or you just fill out whatever the f- few forms for them you pay them money and they do everything for you so when you leave the hospital then that's just to kind of give you a, a little bit of point of comparison because what you went through is not an ordinary step for those who actually have a birth certificate because for the rest those with no birth certificate the marriage certificate and for them it's just it's all being managed through the hospital now that creates an impression for many people that it's the hospital that issues the birth certificate but it is never the hospital has never been the hospital it's just the process being managed through the hospital for those who are lucky enough to have the (laughs) the marriage certificate but it's actually issued by the ministry of human uh, of uh, of health the ue ministry of health but it's the hospital that kind of or the agent that's that works with the hospital that sort of manages the whole process so what you had to do was very different for from all other cases uh, because you were a single mom with an unknown father so that's just to kind of give context of uh, you know just having you having to go to the the court is already a fairly different process from others one and two just for context and those who are listening perhaps for this to this without understanding the full uh, the full um, uh, I guess uh, meaning of 
typing center. A typing center, a center is a little bit of a misnomer. It sounds like uh, somebody you yeah. go place and just they type for you. But in fact, the typing center, as we refer to it in the UAE, is an offshoot from the court. So it's it's kind of like a, an outsource um, outsource uh, department of the courts. So whatever documents, whatever forms or applications that they so-called type for you, they submit and that they have a direct link to the court. So it's not just a typing center. It's, it's basically a part of the court system so that's just kind of for clarification purposes for those who are listening and scratching their heads trying to understand what is a typing center like i know how to type i don't need to go to a typing center so, <laughs> so. and why are they using typewriters <laughs> that, yes, that was exactly. what i was aware of that i needed uh you know the hospital wasn't going to be able to get the birth certificate so i needed the court to issue a letter to take to the you know, that the ministry of health would then use to issue the certificate what wasn't clear for me was do, you know, do you go to the court or is it the typing centre that, uh, you know, requests the letter from the court? That that and even with my visits, I wasn't. Well, it might I have actually been clear. It might have actually been clear to you if you had listened to our podcast with Tim, and we had covered this topic several times because, in fact, up until that point in time, that was the way things were done, even for mothers with unknown father, which we had represented a few of such clients, and we had covered and and had the story shared on this very podcast, Tim, right, with mo- mothers with unknown fathers, and we helped them issue birth certificates and so on and so forth. So the process actually that we covered, and that was perhaps is still populated in our podcast that it worked at the time so you'd actually go to the typing center which you rightfully did and then from there on what you do is a sort of a, a, a an informal rather an administrative request for the typing center for order and petition and then they send it to the court for basically you make a request for the court to issue a letter to the ministry of health and they the court says yes and then you go with that letter to the ministry of health and you get your birth certificate that sort of how what we had covered and so you were correct in in how you approach this because that's that's what we had done successfully before for multiple uh, clients for multiple mothers in very similar circumstances even actually more more uh, perhaps more challenging circumstances uh, and we know it worked too you know <laughs> past tense and so that's what also we covered in our podcast and obviously we you expected that that was going to be a fairly smooth process we expected for it to be a smooth process this is why we had you when you consulted with us we gave you all the assurances that this is more of an administrative step at that point in time you just need to go to a typing, typing center and from there on it's just a matter of a few days and you'll have your birth certificate that's sort of what you expected that's what we expected for you yeah, and what I, did you? <laughs> what did you ultimately? That was encounter? that was exactly what I expected. I mean, even even saying, "Oh, the process is very simple. You go to a typing center, you, you get the letter." You know, when you when you've just had a baby, everything feels a bit overwhelming. You know, even just trying to find the location, park, get in there, find out which which desk do I go to. I thought that was going to be the most like uh, difficult part of it, to be honest. Um, and uh, when I arrived at each of the places and said, "I was, I was." Um, there to get a birth certificate the first thing they would ask is where's the father uh so i'd say there is no father that's why i'm here to request the birth certificate and they they all said oh okay yes no problem uh, so i go I back was, to where else uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah go back to the typing center back to the court but when i said oh no, please can you help me i've already been to the typing center uh they they you know they were supportive said no worries don't worry we'll 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 help you we'll get the letter for you um, so and did at you this, ever at, up until this stage, I still I wasn't I was expecting it to be able to go smoothly, just 
that I was going to be able to get the birth certificate eventually, should I say, um, one way or the other, yeah. Okay, so you're backwards and forwards to the court a few times. You made some applications with court reps. So I'm going to go to my notes here because I want to get this exactly <laughs> right. Um, February the 23rd, 2023, the court issues a document called an Ishad, which is a certification or an affidavit. Um, and then uh, in the Ishad, the court confirmed that you'd stated you'd given birth to a boy in Dubai on February the 3rd, 2023. Um, and you declared to raise and supervise him and that you'd chosen the name Andrew for him. Am I right so far? Uh, you are, but I didn't know that's what it said because it was in Arabic. <laughs> okay, so uh, even more curveballs going here. However, here's another curveball. You find in the same document the court declared that the court had given your son a different middle name and a different surname. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> and the court gave your son the name? Andrew Daniel Alphonse. Okay. Is so, this the name of the Danish father? Who's Alphonse? <laughs> I have no idea. I've never heard that name before Daniel? in my life. Obviously, the, the donor was anonymous. Um, I, I don't know any Daniel Alphonse. Uh, it was a, a, a made-up name. And I, I didn't know. Like I said, they gave me a piece of paper with some Ara you know, short script on it in Arabic, um, that I'd paid for and then it was when I asked them what does this say uh, they mentioned oh you know you have guardianship of your son and we've named uh, he's he's named Andrew and the court has given him a middle and surname right so you had chosen the name Andrew James Johnson and the court had given him a name Andrew Daniel Alphonse yes uh-huh and what what did you feel at the time I I really did not know what to do. <laughs> I just sat there saying, um, I, I was very shocked, really shocked. Uh, I was just trying to understand from them why and saying, no, that's not his name. He needs to have my surname. Uh, and and not obviously not getting anywhere because they said that's that's the name that had been allocated to him by the court. And what, what did the court or court representative say? Did they explain how this new name came to be? No, just that I wasn't allowed to give, he wasn't allowed to have my middle name and surname that I'd, that I'd chosen for him and that he had to have a middle name and surname chosen by the court. And were you... Uh, and you I was aware on my own, so I had no one else to... Wow. And were you aware of any, anybody else who might have been experiencing the same no, thing? No, this is the first time I'd ever heard anything like this. this that's why I say I was very shocked. It, it, it's a real first. I mean, Ludmilla, have you heard of anybody that this has happened to, that, that a child could be randomly named. Have you come across this before? Not until Lindsay came into our uh, world. Yeah. No, and in fact, we knew the opposite. And as we have extensively covered on this very podcast, and as we've uh, extensively and you know, multi on multiple occasions helped our clients in real life to obtain birth certificates, not just in the Emirate of Dubai, but also in, in perhaps at least arguably some more conservative Emirates like Abu Dhabi and even Fujairah. We have represented uh, mothers, single mothers with unknown fathers, uh, and help them issue uh, get birth certificate issued with only the mother's name on, uh, with the, the name that the mothers had selected. Not only that, Tim, if you recall, and we that's one of the podcasts we have 
uh, perhaps that's uh, that's that's uh, one of the more uh, interesting ones that for for the likes of, of Lindsay's story, and that's where uh, the there was an original name that the mother had given to the baby, because at the time it was still a crime to have a baby without a, a marriage certificate, and so she was in a panic and she gave some name of some some somebody that uh, that. Uh, I think actually it was not alive at the time, <laughs> I suppose, at father, because she was in a panic and she was scared uh, to lose her babies. She was scared of everything else. And so and then and then kind of in the meantime, while she was trying to get the birth certificate, the laws had changed and it was no longer criminal to have a baby without a marriage certificate. So at that point in time, she obviously wanted to change the name. She no longer needed to be worried or scared about coming up with a supposed father somewhere. Uh, and um, so she wanted to give her own name. And so we even applied. But the birth notification stated name, name number one. And then we applied through the court to actually change that name to her chosen name. So we had gone through this process. We know it. And, and we've had this person, you know, I even appear on this podcast. So it, it we know it worked. This is how it used to be. So your case was shocking to us. And I remember because you had come to us early on and uh, this was going to be a no-brainer. And um, I still re remember when you reached out and sort of in the panic, we were all panicking as well. I was like, <laughs> well, what happened? <laughs> well, yes, I, and I was aware of those other situations. And I thought, well, the name on the birth notification is the name I'm asking for and I just thought I had done something wrong you know that I had gone to the wrong place or I, I just thought there's been a mistake here I've I've um, because I had uh, you know when I was I was finding out what the process was there was obviously people were referring me to PROs that could do this for you uh, it was it felt like quite a lot of money for after listening to your podcast what felt like quite a simple process so I'll save myself some money. I need that for the nappies. So I'll, I'll do this myself. So I just thought, oh, maybe I should have, maybe I was in the wrong place. Or maybe I've said the wrong thing. There's something lost in translation here. And I, by this point, it was nearly three o'clock. The court was about to close. I realized I wasn't going to get anywhere. So I left with that bit of paperwork still like a bit shocked and worried, but really thinking it was a mistake that was, that we could, you know, that I could get fixed somehow. And in fact, that's exactly what we felt as well when you came to us. We just thought, well, surely, well, with all due respect, <laughs> but Lindsay doesn't speak Arabic. You know, she's a new mom. She had just delivered a baby. She's probably hormonal. She probably went to the wrong court, the wrong department, talked to the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not denying it. I'm not denying it. All that. So we just, we thought the same thing was surely something was lost in translation and somebody misunderstood and gave her the wrong document or she just went to the wrong person. That was kind so of what we literally thinking at this point everybody's thinking typing center couldn't type or, or, or something it. similar it, it's yeah. as simple as that exactly right <laughs> okay but there was more to it than that Indeed. And so then one of the things that Lindsay did when she uh, reached out to us, she obviously sent us the document that um, uh, shocked her when it was first <laughs> issue, which is this uh, where the, the baby's name was something other than what she had chosen. And that document, we started researching and we realized, as, as you Tim rightfully said in your perfect Arabic, Ishad, and that is, is, is my perfect Arabic too. So it's the first time that we saw this document and, it, the, the, and the translation in uh, from Arabic to English is, is certification or affidavit. We had never seen a document like that in the context of, um, in particular, in the context of a non-Muslim 
person. This is why early on I said your your religion actually in this case does actually matter. We had once upon a time heard uh, or or sort of come across something similar in the context of a, of a Muslim woman who was trying to have a baby without um, a marriage certificate, and so is so that word ishad or a certificate or affidavit came up in the context more of like Sharia law. Uh, so that we had kind of known uh, very loosely, so in the back of our minds, but we had never actually seen a document issued in the context of, of, of a, a non-Muslim Western uh, mother. Uh, so uh, we were all kind of also scratching our heads thinking it was a mistake. Somebody, so she must have gone to the wrong uh, court clerk or a representative uh, who was confused and thinking she was Muslim. And we have seen that as well sometimes that uh, some... A person is is by mistake gets designated as a, as a Muslim in the system in let's say the official system and as a result kind of everything else from there go goes as if that person was Muslim and their i.e. the Sharia law would apply. So we were I mean that was at that point when uh, Lindsay came to us we were thinking the same thing it's just a mistake some t- typing center clerk at typing center made a mistake and all we need to do is just correct it uh, and um, um, yeah and it will basically be sort of fairly simple process and just. For those who are curious in terms of what this document uh, specifically states, and uh, it's, you know, I guess, a more or less uh, of loose translation of from, from Arabic, it's like this, the court, can, you know, so basically the court um, uh, continues the baby's name uh, in preparation for his identification documents, making his full name Andrew Daniel Alphonse, and we issue this ishad for it to be operated on this basis. So basically, that's kind of what that the document that Lindsay is referring to, what it stated. Uh, so um, yeah, so it wasn't just the, the it wasn't just a kind of a form. It's actually an official document with fairly official and detailed language, if you will. Uh, so it was we realized it was not ma- it was not a mistake. Uh, and that the court uh, ultimately specifically stated that the court is the one who had continued Andrew's name to be you know, Daniel Alphonse. I, I recall at this stage, this was when I was aware I would need to take this letter to the Ministry of Health to get the birth certificate and obviously very conscious that I need to get Andrew's uh, passport and his visa because by a certain time I'm, I was then going to start facing overstay fines for him. Um but there was, you know, I was thinking, do I go get the birth certificate and then fix it or do I fix it now? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I reached out at that stage to before I got the birth certificate issued. And this is a very good point because you're right. At that point in time, you have this official document from the court was, that's called Ishad. With this document, you could have gone to the Ministry of Health and you they would have issued you a birth certificate with this name, uh, Andrew Daniel Alphonse, and then from there on, you would have been able to apply for your uh, for the passport, the baby's per, uh, passport and the baby's residency. So you're correct. So in terms of the process, it could have ended right there and then. Uh, and um, um, so I, I guess the process could have been simple if you did not mind having your baby having somebody else's name. I, I did have an issue with the surname not being the same as mine, though. I, I had a feeling this would lead to, I mean, first of all, that's not <laughs> what I wanted. It's not what I chose. But even if I had accepted it, I think traveling as a single mother with a, a baby with a different surname to myself and no ability to get an NOC from the father to say that was okay, I, I thought was going to cause me problems. Um, yes, and so, I, I trust me, 
I, um, my kids obviously have <laughs> their dad's name and I didn't, and I have my own maiden name. So even me as a married woman with, with sort of a marriage certificate and all, I always think about that when I travel because my kids have a very different name from my name, a very, very Slavic name. They have very, uh, uh, very sort of Latin names. And so it, it is, it's actually, it's a, it, it is a true consideration. And furthermore, there are certain countries where if you travel alone with your child, uh, they, um, they require additional documents, like you said, an NOC from the father or some kind of an affidavit from the father, for instance, South Africa being one example. Um, so it is important that the name matches, you know, because it's, yeah. it's, it could be complicated even with uh, with all the documents in place. It's already a complicated enough situation <laughs> in a way, isn't it? So, you, I mean, if you can make life easy, make it easy <laughs> would be my kind of um, uh, yeah. way of looking at this. So, so what, Lamilla, what, what do you do when your baby has a different name that you didn't allocate for want of a better verb? Uh, for us, a drawing in our previous experience, when I might, uh, as I might add once again, a successful experience, <laughs> we thought, okay, well, we can fix this by virtue of filing uh, a, a request to the court uh, that is uh, administrative in nature, and that's called the order on petition. And we've covered this particular subject on, on this very podcast several times because it's, although it sounds like it's, you're still going through the court, it's still a request to the court, but it's not your typical um, substantive case where you have hearings and parties being served and, and submissions being made on both fronts. So it's an order and petition is what's called in legal terms um, uh, an administrative request to the court that's being done ex parte, which means without serving the other side. Uh, so it's um, it's and we have used this very tool uh, to uh, apply for birth certificates uh, and even changing the name uh, uh, from the birth notification uh, with the courts and uh, you know you sub you submit it and and the whole definition it's um, of the uh, the order and petition is that the court must issue a decision within a day or two from the time that the file is accepted and so that was our our our, um, our plan was okay this is going to be that's not a big deal we will change this by asking filing this order and petition to the court and requesting for the court to change the name to uh, Andrew James Johnson as uh, the mother had wanted to uh, and submitted on um, through uh, Lindsay's um, court portal, and that was going to basically be kind of the end of it. So we expected, knowing that this is um, that you know, here, you don't necessarily have, you don't need to serve the other side because there is really kind of no other side, uh, and um, uh, submitted online, and we expected an answer within just a few days. And so by the time, by the way, by that time, by the time Lindsay came to us, and we had kind of, uh, you know, this uh, after you had gone back and forth between the different government departments, and after you came to us, and we had kind of studied this Ishad idea and f tried to figure out where that came from, and whether there was a mistake or whether this was intended and how to potentially correct it. So now we're talking about April. So uh, on April 24th, we uh, so this order on petition was finally registered. And so this is already how many months, I think three, four months into into Andrew's birth. Um, three months, so yeah. three months. So he's already three months old. He doesn't have a birth certificate yet. Uh, and um, so we registered this order on petition. And then as it was ex expected in the cases of order on petition, within just a few days, the court responded. And so here in this case was April 26, only two days later, uh, the court responded and rejected 
to our own surprise, <laughs> rejected our order and petition and instructed us to file a substantive case. And a substantive case, uh, a, you know, a case in, uh, for under full jurisdiction. I can't imagine, Lindsay, how you're feeling at this point, but I want to understand what a substantive case is um, and what the difference between an order on petition and a substantive case is. And uh, unexpected is, is the word that comes to my mind. But I think it was unexpected or often. <laughs> I can laugh now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it was unexpected for us because sure. we have done this before successfully. And... Uh, and we just thought, okay, fine, well, there's a mistake made somewhere. We can correct it. We know the tools. We've used them before successfully. It's not going to be a big deal. I recall now that actually the order on petition was, from your earlier podcast, the process to go for to apply for the birth certificate as a single mother. And, and by the time I had given birth to Andrew, the laws had changed again. And everyone was like, it's even easier for you to get the birth certificate now. Now sure. you mm. you can just go... Uh, to the typing centre or the, get the letter to take to the Ministry of Health without the order on petition. So when when that didn't work and I, I came back to Ludmilla and they mentioned the order on petition, I was like, okay, this, this you know, we're just reverting back to the other process, this will work. <laughs> uh, you, you, and you're right, Lindsay, actually, this is a good, um, a good reminder that, yes, order on petition previously worked before the laws on the issuance or registration of uh, birth certificates in the UAE had changed. Uh, so in that case, we ultimately figured out that what we needed to do is we still needed to go to the court for single mothers with our non-fathers to apply for birth certificate, but we could do it through the order and petition, and that's kind of what we had uh, discussed in our previous podcast. And then by the time you delivered, you're correct, that law on registration of birth certificates um, had changed, and it made it a lot, in the law that is, uh, it made it a lot simpler uh, to apply for birth certificates under your circumstances, which was basically a declaration from the mother. And you would do this declaration through a typing center. So going back to this this typing center, so how it should have worked uh, on the basis of this new, by the way, federal law. It's not just a Dubai law. It's a federal, uh, federal law on the registration of birth certificates. Uh, Lindsay should have just gone to the typing center, issued a declaration uh, to the typing center, basically. And the declaration would have been, I'm the mother, this is my baby, and I name my baby such and such name. And then the typing center would have submitted the declaration to the court and the court would have issued the letter to um, to MOHAP or the Ministry of Health. So that's sort of what we expected. And But as, uh, as Lindsay rightfully said, uh, her process did not work. So we thought, okay, well, maybe this, since this is still a very new law, it was only issued in 2022, perhaps the authority is still learning uh, the application of, of this law. And uh, so let's kind of revert back to the previous method, which was a slightly more involved by virtue of this order and petition, instead of just a simple declaration that should have been issued even through the notary public or the typing center. So I thought we thought, okay, let's just go back and use the the tool that we know for sure works, um, and that's the order and petition. But that, to our surprise, <laughs> did not work for us, and uh, the court rejected it. Okay, so we go to a substantive order. How does that work? Well, it's uh, it's imagine. So we talked about order and petition, and even though it's it's a court process, but it's really it's not really your court case. It's not fair to call order and petition a court case because it's more just a request to the court and the and there's not really back and forth kind of arguing and such. So 
Substantive case is something very different. Substantive case is sort of what we all think of when you think, oh, there's a court case. You know, I, I, I'm filing a court case or a court case has been filed against me. That's what a substantive case is. So now it's no longer ex parte, meaning that you need to serve the other side. So there is a claimant and there's a defendant and um, the parties need to be served. In particular, the claimant needs to serve the defendant of this court case. So it's like a formal uh, service of process, um, basically stating that I'm suing you because that's what the substantive court case is all about. Uh, and then you have court hearings and parties are meant to uh, make submissions and arguments against each other. So remember, a substantive case, you have a claimant and a defendant. If you just think about that alone, so you have basically parties on opposite sides, right? Because that's when you go to court case, when you have parties that are at, are at odds with one another. Sure, so you're trying to resolve difference. And and the claimant is obviously, Lindsay. Who's, who's the defendant? Uh, yeah, well, we had to scratch our head for a little while and figure out who the defendant should be and by the way this kind of took us back a little bit as well because when the law had originally changed on, on this this very topic in 2020 do you recall back then we when we were figuring out how to file these cases we we had gone through a whole list of parties we may potentially name in cases like this so we thought about what if we just name the court what we name the ministry of health that was back in 2020 right so now we're in 2023 so we've moved on and but it kind of took us back down the memory lane and we started thinking well who, who do we name now so we kind of had to revisit our knowledge bank from back that time and we ultimately thought, okay, so why don't we just, we don't want to name any government officials or authorities because that may take us into a different process of, of jurisdiction. And so we thought, okay, let's name Lindsay. So she'll be both the claimant and the defendant. And um, because, I mean, who else can you name a defendant? So it's like Lindsay basically against herself. Uh, so that's how we, uh, so we filed this and... Um, uh, and that, that was basically kind of shortly thereafter we filed this kind of request to the court. And so Lindsay's suing Lindsay uh, and uh, for ultimately requested the court to issue and correct the name of the baby and issue a letter to the Ministry of Health for the birth certificate. Uh, so, yeah, and that's basically what the difference between order and petition and a substantive case. I mean, one of the I mean, the other case, the other differences obviously are the hearings and and submissions and and, and the time as well. And so, in that case as well, then we filed the court. Um, uh, the court actually scheduled, I think, a hearing two or three months out from the time we filed, and. Um, uh, well, that again, you know, at this point, I think we're four months into into the baby's birth, and so we asked the court to prepone the hearing, uh, and uh, which anyway, so the court ultimately did. But before then, so our Lindsay's uh, filing was substantive case against herself was also rejected, <laughs> and the court requested for us to actually name Andrew, her baby, as the defendant. Right. Okay. I, I I'm following this. I've just got to get this straight in my in my mind. So, let me just come to you for for a second, Izzy. This is four months down the road. Andrew is obviously four months old. How are you feeling at this? Um, yeah, frustrated, worried. I re I remember I was looking in in parallel. What could the UK do for me? Is there any way I could get a birth certificate through them, the passport? I I didn't want 
you know, or if I got the birth certificate in the wrong name, could I still get a passport in the name I chose to get his visa in the name I wanted? Like, so I was trying to work out what my options were if this wasn't going to get resolved. Well, I mean, established procedure to get a UK passport if you have a baby born here. I remember from doing it, my son's 20, when I first did it for him, but it was a birth certificate from the UAE, which at that time there was no service, you had to do it, but that was your penalty as a father for not giving birth uh, at the time kind of thing. Um, And then you go to the British Embassy and present documents, which you can't do. Exactly. So uh, I remember I would have been able to get a passport under like an emergency situation, um, but I was never, I would never have been able to get a birth certificate. I could register the birth in the UK, but because I didn't give birth there, it was, I was never going to be able to get a UK birth certificate. So then I would have had a situation with a passport with one name and a birth certificate with another. I knew I was never going to get the visa. So I, I knew that wasn't an option. Um, if I was either going to end up with a certificate with the wrong name and then I'd have had to get a passport and a visa, all, you know, everything else, all of his identification document in that name or hold out and unhope, um, my my concern, I, I still remember deep down really having the confidence and the faith that we would get there. I just was worried about how long it was going to take because at this point, um, I can't travel. Uh, he like I was lucky that I did actually manage to get his health insurance because most uh, most companies wouldn't actually have given Andrew any health insurance without any identification. Right. Um, so. You know, I was facing long overstay fines for him. Uh, you know, his health insurance was one thing. that, and, and I wasn't able to make any plans. And if anything had happened to my family, you know, I wasn't able to just get on a plane. It, it, I felt quite trapped. And plus it was coming up to summer <laughs> during my maternity. I wasn't expecting to stay here as well. So it was very, yeah, like kind of up in the air stay. It was, yeah, it was very difficult. And on top of being a, a new mum and dealing with uh, probably lack of sleep as well. <laughs> Still. Standard state of affairs. Um, so, Ludmilla, you, you eventually, the court accepts your request to prepone the hearing. A new hearing date is set for June the 22nd. Yes, that's from the correct. That's from the original date that was set uh, for August, and we and the substantive case was first registered in June, uh-huh. uh, and June one, and then the hearing was set for August, so it's two months out, and so that's when we requested for it to be preponed, and so the court thankfully um, gave us the uh, the June twenty second date as, as, as a new date. And um, and it's just, if I may just kind of pause there for a second, it's going back to what Lindsay said about what her options were uh, until then or what she was considering, because we actually are also aware of some other mothers who have um, uh, ended up going with whatever the, um, uh, the birth certificate stated to their home country, and they're correcting the name or changing the name uh, for their babies. But different countries, we, well, we've also heard cases like this, but different c- countries have different laws and not all allow for the change of name. And when even when you do have a change of name, it's still, you, you often have this sort of a whole chain of documents that you need to show there's an original birth certificate and an amended birth certificate and so on and so forth. So it gets very complicated, but we have heard of people considering or discussing that very option. But ultimately, uh, I agree with Lindsay that uh, just, and we had advised similar things to other clients before that 
you you better just fix it if you can fix it at the outset fix it at the outset because at that point after that it'll be so much more complicated and the baby may have maybe stuck <laughs> with these issues for the rest of their lives trying to explain uh, their original name of the birth certificate versus the amended name versus the passport and residence visa and so so and so forth uh, so um that, yeah that was also a concern of mine that andrew was going to grow up find this out and think i was hiding something from him you know that he did actually have a dad out there called James Johnson somewhere and you know I was making up a different story for him so yeah there was quite a lot to consider with with what I went ahead and I do remember we spoke and I was very aware that once I got that UAE birth certificate issued it was going to be impossible to change that the actual UAE birth certificate name so no no I can understand that because I mean that's a that's a document for for life, isn't it? In in theory. So um, the court hearing is set to hear the substantive case uh, for Lindsay to appear. Andrew is the defendant. Yes, I'm right so far. Y- yeah. And is it is it online? Is it a personal? How, how does that work? Right. So, but I I do want to say one more thing. As Lindsay was talking about um, how she was. On the one hand, worried. On the other hand, she was confident that we would <laughs> we would be able to sort it out for her. What right. she perhaps is not so aware of how we took it internally. We were so incredibly worried. I mean, literally, our whole team and and my colleague Hanan, who is the brains behind all of this, and she was the one who had been researching and figuring out how to connect all the dots. Um, but we also took it so personally and to heart her case. Well, she doesn't know about <laughs> that. I mean, we no, I, like you know, I don't know to what extent you do, but. I think Hanan uh, kept it like very hidden from me. Um, I appreciate that. I think afterwards she kind of told me about some of the stories she'd gone through, and I was like, "Oh, I appreciate that." I didn't actually know all the problems she had faced as well. You know, behind all the other little avenues you'd looked at, should right. I say? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the problems, but also it's the emotional investment. We were so yeah. invested because it was so different. A from what we knew and we had done. Uh, B contrary to what the laws actually stated and what we expected and then see just at a human level we just i mean this is so difficult you know <laughs> we're just we're only human here so we really really took her case to heart all of us here and we felt so emotional and every time we had a setback like this it really really took us on an emotional roller coaster and we really i mean we shed tears here <laughs> i don't know how much Lindsay knows about this uh but she in particular now. in particular hanan <laughs> yeah, uh, no, and you know for yeah. yeah. And so, and we, yeah, and we were determined, and we even took this case. Uh, ultimately, we said, "Listen, uh, Lindsay, we, we just we're not making money on this. We cannot charge you more for this because we cannot, we cannot just justify it based on where you are and based on kind of 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 you know where we are in terms of the legal." Um, the challenges because it shouldn't be this way so just so we'll do it for you just because we want to see this through from the intellectual yeah no, I, I definitely felt that everybody was invested in this and that yeah you're all part of Andrew's family to get this <laughs> yes. sorted we gave birth to him together <laughs> so he thought Sisters he only had unite. one parent oh, they yeah. thought he only had one parent little does you know I, need, I needed you in the hospital at the time to come up with a name <laughs> I'm That's fist right. pumping at the moment <laughs> sisters but it's hard not to get invested yeah. emotionally in something like this isn't it because 
I'm getting emotionally invested in this, <laughs> but you know, you, you have this picture of the hard-headed lawyers just go to court, and but it, it's not like that. In this case, it's not like that, and also because I mean, let's face it, I'm also a mom. I delivered to kids mm. here, and I know what it's like because ultimately, this is not our home country, right? In the sense mm. of, uh, we're not nationals or citizens of this country, which means that we depend on all sorts of documents, right? I, we, there's no pension system here. There's no like social security. There is no you can't ask the government to cover you for this and that uh, and you can't just live here without a passport a birth certificate and a passport for for decades as you would in your home country right because hey you know yeah. you don't have a birth yeah. certificate you don't have a passport i mean how many americans for example live their whole lives without having a passport issued and that's not a not it's not an event but here because it is we're still we're all residents here i know what it's like as as lindsay rightfully said if you don't have that birth certificate you don't have the passport you don't have the passport you don't have the residency that means you cannot leave the country then at some point in time your health insurance i mean maternity insurance should cover the baby at least for at least three months um after birth and but what if yeah if it, the, every day that it takes beyond that point you worry as well well what if something what about vaccines for the baby was well, something else forbid were to happen to the baby are you you know, is there a medical coverage is there medical insurance and we've had these cases as well from a lot of people that we don't have we cannot afford to go and get the baby vaccines because we're not covered by insurance so these are very emotional and very yeah. personal issues and and they um, you know they've worried us and we were all very emotionally invested as well now you you have a hearing and that's an online hearing am i right yes yeah, so at this point uh, and this was one of we've covered it on this podcast many times before the the uae had really embraced the digital world to our our delight uh, as legal practitioners because it made things a lot more efficient in terms of submitting documents uh, appearing in, in court in hearings because including everything else the most of the all court hearings were online so which made it a lot more efficient so in this particular hearing as well by the way when the court finally preponed, they had issued um, uh, the, the date for the hearing. And in the documents themselves, it said online hearing. Uh, and but we thought, well, this would be better for Lindsay to actually be there in the courtroom, despite the fact that the documents themselves said that it was an online hearing. It's just that it's such a human story and it's such a such a personal story. We just thought it would be better for Lindsay to be in the courtroom when this is happening. Uh, irrespective of you know what the sort of we figured even if she means she she's meant to appear in like in the throne online system but she's in the court physically um that would be better so so we recommended to her to go uh in person and we said well well hanan um, offered to be to accompany her and hanan was there with her as well and um and so and we also encouraged uh, lindsay uh, and uh, well, I guess encouraged to kind of have to perhaps bring Andrew with her yeah, as well. Had nobody to leave him with. He, it was no choice but to bring him anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so so uh, um, so then Lindsay came there with uh, with um, Andrew, and um, and interestingly enough, the judge appeared. Uh, online and perhaps Lindsay can describe to us her experience uh, a little better so while we collectively appeared there in person uh, in fact the judge was appearing on uh, online so I mean Lindsay can perhaps uh, describe how that was um, but um, um, but you know it was a little bit it's kind of a surreal experience in the way we are we're sort of online but we are kind of halfway physically somewhere present and and we you know this has become more or less kind of a sort of not an uncommon event in terms of um, uh, court appearances. Uh, but, um, you know, for, for Lindsay showing up there with 
uh, with her baby, who is at this point only four months old. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm definitely glad that Hanan was there. For, I just was recalling when you said about the even the online um, applications, the, you know, poor Hanan like messaging me at 10 o'clock at night asking for OTPs and that to register it. Um, but she... Uh, you know, Hanan at least had told me what to expect. We did have to wait a long time before we went into the court, and she had explained that the judge would be um, would not be in the room himself, and he would be online because that was a bit. I walked into a room. I know there was uh, two guys behind, like a, I don't want to say podium, but you, you know, higher up uh, setting, a yeah, yeah a bench. bench. And you know, I was asked to approach like a small little camera, like you see at the airports. And I remember thinking there were going to take my picture for some documentation so I'm smiling and then suddenly the judge starts talking to me from it <laughs> so yeah I wasn't you know I wasn't uh clear on what the the roles were of the of the the two men in the room either but they I think they were um documenting them or minuting the what the judge was saying yeah, and then the judge at that point asked you um, where the name Andrew Daniel Alphonse uh, came from, right? And whether that, that's the name that you had chosen uh, for, for the baby. And at that point, I guess you confirmed that that was not your name, that you had not chosen, and you don't know how that name came to be. And, um, and you asked for the judge to change the, uh, the name. And um, then I guess uh, you you can tell us better, but this is from our perspective. And the judge said he um, he will issue a decision on that same day. Yes, yes. The judge didn't actually say too much, to be honest. <laughs> uh, he did ask exactly as you said. He asked me if that was a chosen. Name. It was more. I think he thought. Oh, it felt like he thought I was there um, at saying I've changed my mind about what I want to call him. I don't want to call him Andrew Daniel Alphonse anymore. I want to call him Andrew James Johnson. Um, so once I explained that, no, Andrew James Johnson was always the name I wanted. I'd never requested Daniel Alphonse. Um, he uh, was meant, you know, speaking in Arabic. The guys were typing that up. And then at the end, he said, well, you know, we'll issue a decision. The I can't recall exactly what he said, but I remember feeling confident that it, the judge was okay with it, you know, that he was... You know what's been amazing to me is throughout the last... We've been talking for well over an hour, but you, you are so... The only word is chilled about this, and I guess it's, it's easy to look back now that things are where they are, but you seem to be very... You, you've, you've said a couple of times, I was confident it was going to go your way. You have a very positive attitude towards this but it must so have surprising been surprising for a brit isn't it <laughs> well yes. but no I, I i i guess i was like well something we'll get there in the end i yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but it must have been nerve-wracking being just being in front of the judge even if it was just a camera and you thought they were taking your oh photo. i was by that point up i was confident in everything but i must admit about a week two weeks before i started to get really paranoid i remember messaging because i was thinking Yes, we know about, um, you know, uh, single mums being unmarried, but what about the IVF part? I really started getting paranoid about, oh, it, maybe there's going to be an issue with the fact that I did IVF and maybe that's not legal. And even though I didn't do it in the country, maybe there's going to be a real problem around that. I became so paranoid, you know, I was really yeah, yeah. like, why, why are we going through this exception, you know, this different process? Why, like, I still couldn't understand why... Uh, Andrew had been given this random name like yeah. so because I didn't have that answer and I wasn't really sure what the problem was I started to get paranoid okay. um that 
you know, oh, okay, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get deported. <laughs> Maybe I'll get put in jail. I brought a friend just in case. <laughs> I was really, really got paranoid at that point. Yeah. Are you paranoid? You thought that they would take your baby away and put uh, you in jail? I, I didn't think that, but I thought they might take me away. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was, yeah, I'm single mum. What would they do with, with Andrew? I don't know. Yeah, so that's the state in which she walked into this sort of courtroom and yeah. the courtroom where yeah. you kind of have some real people, but not really. And you kind of have a, a judge, but <laughs> not really. Yeah, and we, we did have to wait quite a while. There's a number of cases before us. Yeah. But but how did how was the judge? How was I mean, did you feel that the judge oh, put the you judge at ease was, a little bit or yeah, he you was, nervous? Uh, he was um, making, you know, he he was being very complimentary towards Andrew. I can't remember what he said exactly, but he was very like, oh, very, because Andrew's jumping up and down on the bench in front of the camera. <laughs> so <laughs> being bounced up and down. So he's, you know, was like you know, something along the lines of him being a very cute baby. And I um, mean, you know, as I said, asked if that was the name I wanted to give him. Once I explained the name I did want to give, it was, it felt very like he was typing up, okay, issue a letter for the right name. That's how I felt when I left. The judge clearly put you at ease and liked Andrew and liked the fact that you were there and you must have been that must have been a relief. Yeah, it was a relief. I I remember expecting uh, her nan or my friend to be allowed to come in with me because I had a feeling it was going to be in Arabic and I wanted somebody that I knew to be able to translate to me, but that wasn't allowed. Um, so that was my only thing. Was like I, I there was a lot said that I didn't know. Okay. So, so at that point, but the, the judge did um, state, uh, I'm not sure if you recall this, but that they that he will issue a decision on that same day. So Lindsay goes yes. home with Andrew and we go back into our office and we start looking at the system, trying to, this is the blessings of the online systems, checking the system just compulsively, refreshing, refreshing, but Hanan in particular. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so when will the decision come forward? And then based on Lindsay's overall feedback about what the judge had said and and the comments and she clearly walked out of the courtroom a lot more at ease which is a positive sign so we're all kind of holding our fists and like fingers crossed we're all very hopeful and yet the decision is not coming so i remember all day hanan particularly was just losing her mind (laughs) (laughs) obsessively refreshing the system trying to see when the decision would come forward yeah i think it was her messaging me so i still not heard yet still not heard yet i'm checking (laughs) yeah and then um Later on that same day, on uh, that was June twenty second of twenty twenty three at ten p.m. I remember it was very late. Yeah, what if that was <laughs> yes. to me is late. <laughs> yes, at ten p.m. Fanan after her, I probably her finger was like blistering at that point in time, trying to refresh the system. At final, finally at ten p.m. The, ju- the decision came out. And again, that's the blessing of the Dubai sort of online system and this digital embrace um, of in, in, in for government services. So we could do that. You didn't have to wait until the next day to go to the court and get a the copy of the decision. It's, you know, these as decisions were coming forward, they're being populated, however the system works. But uh, yes, at 10 p.m., the decision became available. And, um, and so, and then we... Um, so the, the decision stated, one, is that that same document, Ishad, as we recall, that actually, so the court issued a decision or an order canceling the Ishad. Okay, so canceling, not just amending it, but canceling it uh, and stating that, uh, that Andrew's name is now Andrew um, James Johnson, as named by his mother. 
So that's basically the decision. But think about how huge that is, because remember, we talked about this whole idea of Ishad, that we didn't expect it. I mean, Ishad is, we've seen the, the term come up in the context of Sharia law, application of Sharia law, which does not apply to Lindsay. So, and then, and then, as we were trying to figure out what had happened to Lindsay, we were all scratching our heads and kind of questioning. And this is why we thought this was a, a mistake. It's a mistake. Ishad should not be issued here. Uh, and But uh, we were being told by the same court representatives uh, and that, you know, this is the right document. So having then seen the courts, that's, this is judge's decision, expressly canceling the shot gave us tremendous uh, I guess confidence in ourselves once again that all, you know, all along our understanding of the law was correct so it wasn't just that the judge said uh, we are can't we, we're amending the shot to the name that the mother had chosen no 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 the court said we are canceling a shot altogether because the idea of Ishad said is that the, the court names a child right and that usually happens basically and that's perhaps a little bit of a a legal nuance, but uh, Ishad is issued in cases typically where there aren't, the parents are unknown, and this is where the court would act as a guardian and then name the child. So so seeing the, the court, the judge expressly canceling the Ishad just gave us huge, huge sense of relief and, ju and justification sense of, of justification and kind of confirmation that our understanding and our interpretation of the law was, was correct. So we are at the point where the judge issues a judgment, Ludmilla. It came out at 10 o'clock in the evening. You're all blistered from refreshing the web page to try and get the, the resolution. And it's really interesting to me that this is what the judge said in terms of uh, the name, uh, Andrew's name. He stated, look, Andrew James Johnson is a name more favorable to the child as it is his way of identifying with his mother and her family and that the surname may carry nobility and history that benefits him, essentially completely overturning what had been written in the Ishad. On the one hand, overturning. On the other hand, confirming all the con concerns and all sort of thought process that we discuss here, and for Lindsay in particular, in her circumstances, being a single mom and having to travel with her child for the rest of his life. Uh, so, um, yeah, the continuity, obviously, of the family history and the family name is so much more important in her circumstances. So, having this judge not only expressly cancel Ishad, uh, and then, but also expressly confirming that the baby's name will be as the mother had chosen for him, Andrew James Johnson, and that the reasoning is because it's actually, it's a fairly substantive decision and reasoning that's because this name having the mother's choice of name is much more beneficial for the baby, much more favorable, because um, it would allow him and the mother to obviously have a much more predictable and um, um, life on the one hand, but also allow for the baby. I mean, the words such as the surname may, may carry nobility and history that benefits him. I mean, think about it. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting because ultimately the judge is saying, well, who knows, maybe Lindsay is some kind of royalty here for all we know. <laughs> and so, so if the baby has some kind of noble blood <laughs> in him, he should benefit from it. Uh, so yeah, so it's, um, it's not just, uh, okay, we authorize the change of name. It's, uh, it's a fairly, in legal terms, a substantive and nuanced and well-reasoned decision. Well, it is. And it's also the judge essentially saying, Lindsay, uh, this little boy needs a sense of self 
and recognizing that is that how that made you feel yes that you know uh, uh, up until this point i'd started to feel like the identity his his own identity wasn't considered that important you know and that actually maybe yeah. there's a way around that it's just a name and i can i don't know yeah accept it which i was very uncomfortable with um so having that kind of reinforcing what we've been thinking and saying all along was yeah was definitely reassuring so it's 10 o'clock at night, yeah. you get that news. Hopefully you got a good night's sleep that night. I'm not, I don't know, four-month-old baby. <laughs> They've all blurred into one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ludmilla, landmark decision. Um, the judge rules as you could only have hoped he would rule. Um, birth certificate on the way the next day. Is, is that what happened? Well, so we thought, <laughs> but not That's quite. not what happened. <laughs> No, it's not what happened. Okay. No. Uh, so um, that would have been too easy. <laughs> indeed, yes. Uh, there would not have been the full story. Right. Um, so um, no. So on uh, the next day, we thought, okay, well, let's uh, hit, strike the iron while it's hot, and then take this court uh, court letter and go to uh, the Ministry of Health and um, uh, have them issue the the birth certificate as per the court order. Uh, so I remember, it's not just a letter. It's it's a court decision. It's a court order. It's a judgment. Uh, so with this judgment at hand, uh, Hanan ran to MOHAP or the Ministry of Health, uh, and, and, and she's running because we're we're approaching Eid. Oh, it that's was right. Eid the following week. That's right. right. That's right. That that was June twenty third. You're correct. Yes. Uh, so she runs, uh, just trying to kind of seize the moment and apply for Andrew's birth certificate. Uh, but uh, no. Once again, we encountered another little uh, stumbling block, another surprise. Uh, so the Ministry of Health informed us that Andrew's uh, birth certificate application now will have to be approved by the uh, Ministry of Health Certificate Committee. So, um, and that's for you know, for their sign a sign off and approval on uh, on the issuance of the birth certificate. And we have seen this before, uh, in particular in the case of single mothers, uh, where you don't just go to uh, uh, normally with with uh, I guess both parents present. You go to the Ministry of Health, you submit the application, and they issue a birth certificate right there on the spot. Uh, in those cases where, uh, of single mothers, uh, we've had uh, we we knew that there was a step where the committee would meet, and then the committee would ultimately approve. And that we Tim, we've discussed this in previous podcasts as well. Uh, so the committee would finally issue that decision. So, but that practice, once again, we thought had been a thing of the past, and so we didn't expect for it because again, the laws in terms of the issuance of the birth certificates had changed by this time. So. The, the laws do not provide for any kind of meeting uh, of the committee and the approval required from the committee. Uh, we have a court judgment, and that's it. And court judgment issues uh, ultimately an order to the Ministry of Health stating, please issue the birth certificate for this name. So that was a surprise to us as well. The, it wasn't just like the regular step where the, um, uh, the, the, just the Ministry of Health would issue the birth certificate right there on the spot, which is what we expected. Then now we needed to wait for the meeting of the committee. We just missed a committee haven't we and are they every two weeks uh, yes yes and so the committee meets uh, twice a, a month and so we had just missed it uh yes so um so anyway so but at that point all we could do is just leave the letter with them the judgment with them and uh, wait for the committee to meet and uh, issue the approval and uh, you know hopefully two weeks later we would be hearing back from them with with already uh, a birth certificate so how long did it take for you to get a positive decision 
Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at both of <laughs> you thinking, this still didn't run smoothly, did uh, it? it? No. Okay. So, so two weeks into it, when the committee finally met, uh, we heard back and um, uh, so and they said basically they needed additional documents. So in other words, the committee had not given us uh, their approval and sign off for the issuance of the birth certificate. In fact, they requested uh, that we obtain a letter from the court confirming that this June 22nd judgment, which we were trying on the basis of which we we're trying to get the birth certificate issued, was final and enforceable. Um, so that's another surprise, uh, another surprise, especially because this the new birth certificate law does not a require for the meeting of the committee and b does not really kind of anticipate for the committee to have conditions attached uh, to 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 the issuance of the uh, this sort of court decision and certainly c I don't know where this came from that the confirmation that the judgment of the court was final and enforceable. Okay, so you, you have to get a letter, and that that's got to be just a technicality. That must that surely that's that's just go to the court. You've got the decision. You get the letter. It gets signed, and then you go back. Isn't uh, so we thought, okay. <laughs> but no. Once again, that wasn't. That this wasn't. is turning into a Netflix show. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so. Um, uh, so with but basically with these new instructions at hand, we went back to the court, and that was around July 27th, and we went to the court to request this letter. Uh, and since you know, in this particular case, the, the you know what um, remember the letter was supposed to state that this is final and it's enforceable, i.e., it's not it's not challenged. Well, but since in this case the claimant is the mother and the defendant is the baby, who is going to challenge the decision? So obviously it is final and enforceable. Um, so it just kind of the whole the whole premise uh, of the instructions were somewhat uh, difficult to reconcile from a logical standpoint. So we liaised with uh, the Dubai courts to obtain this certificate confirming that the judgment is final and is enforceable. Uh, however, that too was not the end of the road and the Dubai courts admin team basically kept rejecting uh, our request multiple times. So we kept Re requesting the, the the sort of certification this judgment is final enforceable and we just kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection and without any explanation and this is where perhaps you kind of in a way is a little bit of a drawback in in terms of this online system because all you get you get the 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 decisions very quickly published which is great except that in many cases just rejected and there's nothing else there's no reasoning behind it and these rejections because what we ask for is more of an administrative document uh, stating that the judgment is final so yeah. it's actually being issued not by the judge but by the admin team so the admin representatives of the court so that's why and all they need to say they don't need to issue a judgment explaining why they're requesting this and and what the process is they just basically can say reject and so we just kept getting and we we're trying to figure out what, what we're doing wrong what we were um, uh, what were we sort of not submitting? Uh, and then, uh, and ultimately we, you know, I think we cannot even went to the court to try to understand what was going on. And so ultimately the Dubai courts uh, stated, stated that the certificate uh, cannot be issued, this, this certificate of finality uh, cannot be issued because the defendant was not served of the judgment. And the defendant in this case is who? It's Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think I'd been protected from this part. I think uh, I know there was a lot of this was the back and forth that I wasn't aware of. You know. <laughs> okay. 
Yes. Uh, so in that, yeah, that's there's a lot more that went on yeah. here. Uh, yes. So I'm trying to work out how you would serve a four or five month old baby with it. I, I yes. It work. Exactly. And so, so we attempted to submit this multiple sort of requests to the court to to obtain the certificate without basically ticking this box that yes, the defendant or Andrew had been served, um, and, uh, and 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 also because there is from a legal standpoint, if we had. Uh, affected the service uh, and you know by just t taking that box yes the service had been done then we would have to wait for another 30 days from the day of service for the judgment to become final so it's right. a bit of a legal nuance and this is why we're trying to avoid having to take this what may otherwise appear a very just administrative a kind of a, a formal requirement of just taking the box yes the service has been affected but had we ticked that box we would have had to wait for another 30 days to effectively for this judgment to become effective uh, final by virtue of not being contested or challenged. Uh, so, um, and you know, obviously these additional 30 days would have been detrimental for Auntie Andrew and Lindsay because her, uh, by this time it had already been five months from the time that uh, Andrew had been born. So, um, and uh, you know, at this point he still doesn't have a birth certificate, he doesn't have a passport, he doesn't have residency, uh, he's overstaying. Uh, so uh, you, you know, even even two days would have been too long, but 30 days would have certainly were not kind of acceptable to us. Right, so um, time for a new approach, I suppose. What did you do? Yes, and this is again flip-flopping in terms of the benefits and sometimes perhaps more limited drawbacks of the online system. More benefits, way more benefits than than sort of shortcomings. But so there is a, a system again. This Hanan is the brainchild. This is her brainchild. I mean, really, she she had to put on a lot of kind of thinking and creative um, hat. Um, in this case, we try to figure out <laughs> innovative uh, and kind of out of the box ways of continuing to challenge what seemed like sort of a, um, a status quo. And so she decided that let's request because you know we couldn't get through to the judge. All we were were getting sort of we're getting blocked by the admin team, who just kept rejecting our request. Uh, so we thought, okay, let's make a request on the system to meet the judge. And so there is that kind of request you can make on the online system is just basically to meet the judge. Uh, and um, and we in, in, in requesting this, we stated that this was very important uh, for the baby uh, and uh, in the timing is of the issue of the, of the essence. Um, and we also stated that it was unnecessary for us to serve uh, Andrew of the judgment and then wait for you know, 30 days since you know, he is that's the birth certificate is for him. So that's kind of where you see really the um, the peculiarity, if you will, of having this claimant and defendant case, right, which is what we started with. This is why having to file a substantive case where you have a claimant and defendant, this is how these issues kind of come to be. So you, the reason you usually have this um, requirement of certificate of finality is just to make sure that the judgment is not appealable. But that usually happens when you have your sides on two two parties on the opposite side of the table, right? Conflicting parties, and and so the the other defendant would or whatever the the party would not challenge the judgment, but here the so-called defendant is the baby for whom we're trying to obtain the birth certificate. So, um, anyway, so that's uh, so we explain all that to the judge in our request to meet the judge, and um, and anyway, and then we also stated that in any event the judge met 
Andrew met the baby, which is why, uh, going back to our original uh, or kind of earlier, um, uh, perhaps advice and ultimately decisions of uh, for Lindsay to bring Andrew to the court and actually take Andrew to sort of so-called meet the judge, albeit by video camera. And the judge had met uh, Andrew, had made these comments about Andrew being cute and and made some jokes and so on and so forth. So. We kind of justified in this sort of request to meet the judges that, hey, this is unnecessary. This is for Andrew. This is for his benefit. And in any event, you've met him. You know who, what, what this case is all about. Uh, so we made the request, and uh, and the request was finally approved for, for us to meet the judge. And then on July 27th, um, the court issued basically the judgment. And so in, in this it's interesting, it's not like we met the judge actually. We didn't have to meet the judge. It's just this, in in making this request, and this is Hanan's creativity and ingenuity at play, is in, in making this request to meet the judge, we just, we basically built our case, right? Mm. So we said, because otherwise there isn't, how do you, uh, how do you actually engage with the judge when you already have a decision, when you have a final decision and you don't have an appeal? How do you actually engage with the judge, right? At that point, you only engage with the admin team, which is what we had been engaging with and kind of fi uh, hitting a wall a bit with. And so so this is Hanan's creative approach. Okay, let's meet the judge and ultimately, by virtue of this request, ple plead or make our pleading, make our submission of, of basically stating, explaining why having to serve Andrew is, is not necessary and why it's actually more beneficial official for the for the court to waive this requirement of the final of of the service of process and such and that we just basically and therefore the importance for the court to issue this finality certificate uh, for the purposes of issuance of the birth certificate. So, yeah, so we made that request to meet the judge, and in response, the judge, the court issued the letter that we so um, uh, so badly required, uh, and then the, in this letter, the, the court stated, yes, the judgment is final and enforceable. And that was July 29th, 2023. Wow. Okay, um, because there's so much more to this. I, I can I can follow Hanan's logic. Hanan is tremendous, by the way, but her logic that this is not a case where uh, a simple case of you stole 5,000 dirhams, you have to pay me 5,000 dirhams. There's a whole lot more going on in a case like this. Indeed, but in a way, this case should not have had... Uh, a claimant and a defendant. And shouldn't have gone that far, but you can yes. see, you can follow Hanan's train of thought, can't you? Yes, and yeah. so she really, we needed to be very creative, and then truly she had some very, uh, very um, uh, novel um, thoughts and approaches uh, to this, which ultimately have you know, brought us the successful uh, uh, resolution of the case, but I'm not sure how much of it actually Lindsay was. I was going to say, how much did Lindsay actually know here? I mean, in in the nicest possible <laughs> way, it's probably good to keep the, some of this from you. Yeah, well, I Stress think work. I think Hanan definitely uh, kept her frustrations away from me. I know there was about you know like um, Miller was saying about Hanan going to the court. She told me this later afterwards. You know, I, that she was turning up there personally, and uh, I don't think I I think she didn't want to worry me because. Sure. Uh, one point I was, I still wasn't clear, right, on why I'd got this random name. And I told you about my paranoia earlier. So at one point I thought, are they, go? is this never going to be solved because they need to keep it open in case they think there's a potential father out there that might come forward to appeal this and that's what this is about. And yeah, therefore, yeah. how long is this going to go on? So uh, by this point, I think I was not resigned to it, but you know, I, I wasn't expecting any answers anytime soon at this stage.
Okay. I hadn't given up. I'm not saying that, but I'd. No, but yeah. you, you get accustomed to being in process, exactly. don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, can, I can understand that. Yeah. So the court issues the letter. The judgment is final. It's enforceable. Yes. Mother's thinking, yes. Yes. What, 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 where do you go now? <laughs> okay, so, so Hanan runs back with this letter to uh, the Ministry of Health, uh, gives the letter of finality along with the original judgment, uh, and lo and behold, on August 3rd of 2023, Mohab finally issues a birth certificate uh, with uh, the baby being named Andrew James Johnson as chosen by his mother. Voila. Six months to the day Andrew was born. <laughs> wow. Six months later. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So February 3rd to August 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you have that piece of paper in your hand. Hanan you, did. Well, Hanan. <laughs> kept that's it. true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's yeah. got it. You've got it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How did you feel? Oh, I remember. I was at work. This is how long, you know, I was wow. back at work. I remember being at my desk and not quite believing it to be honest but like I said I, I wasn't expecting that to be the end you, you you've heard the story I thought there must be another but or if or you know something else that we need some other thing we have to go through so I I was very sh relieved shocked you know um <laughs> yeah I'm very overwhelmed I remember being very very like very very thankful to Nan. I know she she did a lot for this. Yeah, I, I can imagine she yeah. did. Um, I have to tell you, we screamed here. We screamed. <laughs> we cried. We like hugged because for uh, us it was like we gave birth to the baby, <laughs> a legal birth. <laughs> so uh, Lindsay did the physical birth. We gave the legal birth. <laughs> it's little, it truly felt like, like I say, yeah, it definitely felt like a family affair. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so from a legal standpoint, what does this mean? Because this is. I mean, you, you, we've been talking about a substantive case, but this is a substantial um, turn of events from a legal perspective, surely. Uh, yes, indeed. And so we, after all this, we went back and kind of re reassessed what had happened and tried to piece together and explain from a legal standpoint and from a professional standpoint how we came to be, how this practice came to be, which was a departure from what we had done before, one, and also a departure from what we believed the law provided for the new law. And so in legal terms, uh, there are what we've what we were able to piece together is that you have a number of legal authorities that um, the various authorities in this particular case uh, apply, uh, relied on. Um, so at a high level, there is the UAE, the federal law on the issuance of the birth certificate. And that's the law that, that changed in 2022. Uh, and um, that's the law that ultimately was supposed to make the process of applying for birth certificates a lot simpler. And uh, that's law number 10 of 2022, and that's regulating registration of birth and deaths. I know it sounds a little grim, but that's ultimately the federal law that establishes the practice uh, from for establishing for issuing a birth certificates and death certificates. And that there was that was one law that, as you recall, Tim, uh, when the substantive law decriminalizing um, having babies out of wedlock changed, uh, but um, uh, the reason the, for the process for the birth certificate had not changed was because that administrative law on the issuance of the birth certificates had not changed. So the substantive law in 2020 changed, but the administrative law uh, on, on, on how do you apply and issue a birth certificate had not changed. And we talked about it in many different podcasts after that. 
But finally, in 2022, by law number 10, that law had finally changed. And now it kind of brought in in line the the change in the substantive law with the regulatory administrative law of the actual issuance of a document, right, to support the birth. And, And as per this federal law, all that is required, which is what we expected, was a declaration from the mother that she is the mother and that that's how she wants to name the baby and the nationality of the baby. And that is the process that we expected for Lindsay to have gone to the typing center, for example, and just make this, or, or it could even be done through the notary public as as per the language of the law, that is. And just because all it requires is a declaration from the mother. And so with this declaration, she should have just submitted a request uh, to the court. The court would have issued the letter to the ministry. And then uh, the ministry uh, would then issue, without the meeting of the committee, would issue the birth certificate. So that's how the law is drafted. And ultimately, that's sort of what we, that's our interpretation. That's what law provides for, uh, and, and that's what we anticipated. So, and that's why we were so shocked and confused about what was going on in Lindsay's case, and we're trying from a from a professional and intellectual standpoint to understand what had what 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 was what was causing a different application of this law. And what we ultimately figured out was is that in Dubai, so this is the federal law we talked about, right? But in Dubai, there is um, the what what is called the Dubai Courts has its own personal status. Um, uh, it's a personal status guide. And that's a personal status guide that it uses for purposes of personal uh, personal status matters, such as divorces, custody, determining how to, for example, calculate alimony and how to divide custody and so on and so forth. So it's called a guide. Okay, so that so Dubai courts had issued its own guide, which we knew about. And then also in um, uh, 2021, this particular guide became official by virtue of an actual decision or like a law, if you will, that adopted this guide. as a kind of regulatory guide, guide is basic and kind of and by virtue of adopting it, made it into law. So it started out as just a guide issued by the court, and then there was a decision issued in the decision, decision number three of 2021 regarding adopting the regulatory guide for personal status matters in Dubai courts. And that's basically a decision that ultimately made this guide law because a guide, by virtue of its name, usually is just that. It's just a guide. It's not. It's not a uh, an enforceable um, source of of authority. But by virtue of the 2021 decision, it became the law. And in this particular guide, and in, you know, there's Article 63 ultimately that sets out this concept of ishad, uh, and and it's as per this Article 63. Three, the the basically it calls for the court in in issuing decisions in the case of um, where you have an unknown father. It says actually unknown uh, unknown parents or unknown father. It says the court has to basically issue the name for a child and declare his date of birth, confirm his place of birth, uh, and confirm his religion. And so, and that document is called Ishad. So that's how we we kind of retrospectively retrospectively figured out how we came to be how this concept of Ishat came to be. Uh, however, what's interesting is that this very Article 63 in the Dubai uh, Personal Status Guide that defines Ishad and ultimately gives the court the authority to issue uh, the birth certificate and, and give give the baby the name, also states at the end of the, of the, the paragraph uh, that taking into account the legislation in force in this regard, i.e., this is what the court does, provided that there is no other laws that, for example, set out a different procedure. But remember, taking into account the, the other laws, that's the federal federal law. So we have a law that, at least from a uh, from 
uh, a per, uh, from a legal standpoint, supersedes uh, more like a more limited law because this is a Dubai court's practice guide, and this is the federal law that sets out a very different protocol for issuing the birth certificate. So this is why we didn't expect for this personal status guide from the Dubai courts to supersede the federal law that sets out a very different process of just a pure declaration versus an Ishad certificate. So. All in all, that's how we were able to piece together what had happened. It's perhaps less interesting for <laughs> Lindsay, <laughs> but from, from the intellectual standpoint, and this is why we took her cause uh, so personally, because for us, these you know, things, if from a legal standpoint, did not quite, uh, did not quite um, um, sort of come together in the way that they logically are supposed to come together. And so this is how we were able to come to, to sort of uh, reverse engineer, if you will, uh, how Lindsay and why Lindsay had gone through what it had gone. But ultimately, you know, if you do with the one kind of 180, by virtue of the court canceling Ishad, it had confirmed our original interpretation of, of the federal law, which does not require Ishad in the case of, of um, um, the case like Lindsay's. Uh, so, um, so I, you know, I dare say we were vindicated, <laughs> vindicated uh, by the court's ultimate decision uh, in our belief and conviction that the federal law should prevail. And as per the federal law, all that needs to be done is a declaration by the mother. And then, um, and then the uh, sort of a fairly administrative decision from the court, and then Mohap, uh, the Ministry of Health, is supposed to issue this letter without, without requiring any additional documents, without requiring committee, without requiring uh, uh, certificates of any finality or enforceability. Uh, so, but that's more from a legal standpoint how we we finally at least uh, reconciled in our, our own minds how Lindsay ended up in this kind of a legal debacle um, and sort of legal enigma, if you will, which we finally um, resolved in our own minds. And uh, at least now we know where that practice came from and how to potentially address it. Uh, though I would like to, uh, to to believe that as time goes on and more of these cases um, uh, see the light of day, that uh, the authorities will uh, will start applying the federal law perhaps more closely to its original purpose. To be fair, I mean, I, I was going to ask you, is is this not more indicative of the fact that we have a, a really rapidly evolving jurisdiction here in Dubai in the UAE. Is that, that's got to be part of this, surely. For sure, and we've seen this before, Tim, and we've covered this before. For example, when when the um, originally out of wedlock, so to speak, births were decriminalized, so the law had changed. But the authorities, when every time we would approach at that time, uh, and the police, and prosecution, and even hospitals, Ministry of Health, at that point in time, they were still. It, it took some time for the authorities, or for perhaps for the law to trickle down to different levels of society, including different authorities, in understanding how to apply this law. But one thing actually that reminds me, Tim, is that uh, one uh, thing we heard, we did hear from the uh, from the Ministry of Health when we, we told them this not, so should not be required, we should not, should not be committed, we should not have required this sort of certificate because of this new law. What we had, um, what had learned from them is at that point in time they had not yet received a mandate from the authorities to, I guess, to from the, the, that have authority over them, that regulate them, that this new law law is now was in effect and therefore their practice had to be uh, had to be amended so yes so even though perhaps at an intellectual standpoint people authorities people representatives of the authorities would know 
that the law had changed, but as an official authority, they too have their own protocol in terms of where they draw their mandate and their instructions, and at that point in time, that had not yet been given an instruction that the protocols and the procedures had changed, and they there was a different, perhaps a more simplified process. So as we go through the process, hopefully one year forward, I would hope that um, uh, the information and knowledge continues to spread, uh, and that uh, you know, and next time around, it's going to be a much more predictable and streamlined and more administrative process for mothers like uh, in Lindsay's position to apply for birth certificates without having to go through the ordeal that she and we <laughs> had gone through. So there's some inconsistency, and and I guess so there are different legal systems within the Emirates, aren't there? So. What interesting it's not an easy explanation, but it is by way of explanation. Well, interesting you said that, and that just reminded me of something else, since you're talking about inconsistencies even amongst the Emirates, because shortly before we applied for uh, for Lindsay's, um, or tried to apply for Lindsay's birth certificate, we had actually assisted a client who was based in Abu Dhabi, an Abu Dhabi resident, also um, a non-Muslim woman, single woman who had had a baby uh, uh, through IVF, and, and I'm not sure if Laura remembered or if we had consulted her, at that point in time, but we had actually also helped her issue her birth certificate through the Abu Dhabi Judicial Department, ADJD, and it was just a matter. She had, she kind of faced a little bit of uh, stumbling blocks, sort of small pebbles here and there on her path, as well being being kind of directed in very similar uh, fashion to uh, to Lindsay's by the representatives, different authorities about filling out the wrong forms. But once we pointed her, okay, this is there's a special form in ADJD, the Abu Dhabi Judicial. So the department is a special form for birth certificate issuance for babies with unknown father. So it's a special form. And so we submitted this form online and we received a birth certificate within just a few days. So in her case, so we know we've done it, we've been there. Yeah. It's and a very simple form. I even tried, tried to, we, we tried to, yes, we tried to get, we applied to Abu Dhabi as well. Yeah. You're right. So we tried to do that for uh, for Lindsay okay. as well because we knew <laughs> that there was a simple process in a different emirate, and we applied, but because we just thought, okay, let's because try. Because I it. hadn't given birth in Abu Dhabi, it wasn't possible. But yeah, yeah. So so we needed some sort of a connection to Abu Dhabi, and there wasn't any. She was not a resident, and she had not given birth in Abu Dhabi. So they said, well, this is not the right jurisdiction. But you're right. We tried that for you as well because of it. So you're right, Tim. It's uh, e- even amongst the emirates, um, the so the procedure for the time being, there's a bit of differences, uh, but I would hope that as we go through the process and time, things will become a lot more reconciled. Well, let's hope so. Um, Ludmilla, from your uh, standpoint, what's the what's the moral of the story? Because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> losing grammar and vocabulary. It's just, wow. I think moral of the story is it's a multidimensional perseverance mm-hmm. uh, and just being kind of creative, inventive in um, the application and um, uh, and also implementation of uh, what, what we you know of, of of laws and legal practice, right? So we are perhaps it's our own fault in our own uh, weakness that we're just a team of of fairly young and uh, i put myself in that uh, group of young fairly young uh, souls yes thank you <laughs> uh, of uh, 
but you know legal minds and we we care we first of all we're interested in the law we're interested in in, in the legal profession we're interested in the legal industry we're actually sincerely interested and we're also very much invested and and intellectually interested in the development of of the legal framework and system in this country because as we've many we've said this so many many times on the podcast it's like living in the history in the making it's very exciting because the country is making tremendous leaps forward and it's changing for the better quite rapidly uh, its laws but obviously there will be some lag time between the time the law and the legislation changes and it trickles down in practice so we know that we are realistic about it it's very exciting uh, on the one hand uh, but on the other hand it just kind of uh, it's a reminder that as times change as, as we evolve we need to continue to stay on our toes we need to continue to evolve as legal practitioners and also when we because we take these kinds of matters to heart ourselves when you take a matter to heart you know you have all sorts of creative juices flowing through your <laughs> blood all of a sudden you don't even know how you wake up in the night and think oh I've got a great idea and perhaps I'd like to think that sort of also what helped us collectively come up with these different solutions and uh, and ultimately you have the result that we did yeah I, I did want to add that I mean this story isn't unique to me you know I I mentioned before that when this when I first got this shad I was I was looking around what my options were and I did reach out on various groups and to various and found out other women in my in my position that had also faced this that you know gone to get the birth certificate and being issued an ishad in the with a random name and unfortunately gone ahead and got the birth certificate in the wrong name as well you know they weren't as fortunate as I was to have found Ludmilla and the team um, and you've you've heard that story there is no way I'd have been able to navigate that on my own um, you know I mentioned quite a few times I was always confident that it was going to go the right way eventually and I think that's because um, Hernan and the team were always able to translate that to me that made made sense in in what the rest of it felt crazy to me but you know they were able to mm. <laughs> uh, make some sense of it for me which and and I would not have known where to have gone next you know all these um, as as Lubmita was saying the, the creative ideas you know I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. No I, I mean I was gonna I was gonna say to you there last word really to you because Fortunately, it's resolved now. You have a birth certificate, but above anything else, you've you've got you know you've got your little boy. It's all come good. Exactly. I can, I can look back at that as a distant memory. It was, uh, um, I mean, you've heard, we've been laughing throughout this podcast. Obviously, we weren't laughing at the time. No, it was very stressful at the time, and I think we're laughing so we don't cry now. But it, it you know it wasn't a very emotional time but even now i'm like okay we got there we did it it was it's an achievement it didn't feel i look back and don't think it, it I'm, really I'm pleased is pleased we we got the outcome we did and the other side of it as well i think is if if your story can help somebody in a similar situation exactly that's why i'm here that's yeah. why well well look thank you for joining us lindsay uh, all the best with andrew well. Thank you. No more Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no we'll never get to the bump of that one, I guess. But that's another episode of Logical. Birth certificate issuance in Dubai. And a real experience shared as well. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, uh, Lindsay, for coming again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, all the best. Uh, very best to both of you. And thanks as ever to our legal expert, managing partner here at Yamalava and Pleska, Ludmilla Yamalava. Thank you for your expertise sharing that for sharing your knowledge and for sharing the story and thank you tim for you so uh, uh, capably moderating this discussion and uh, 
uh, getting this um, help us get the story out there um, in the way that hopefully will not just be beneficial but also interesting to others um, so always um, much appreciate your expertise and your capable uh, moderation in these um, kinds of matters you can find us at LY Law, social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. All the podcasts that we do are free at lylawyers.com. And if you'd like a legal question answered in an episode of Logical, or if you would like to talk to a qualified UE experienced legal professional, click contact at lylawyers.com. <laughs>